My name is Daniel Baden. I'm a naturopath and have been involved in the natural health profession for well over three decades. Over time, I've noticed that more and more people are choosing natural and holistic medicine as their primary care option because of the real and sustainable results achieved. It's comforting to know that natural and holistic medicine works either as a standalone system of medicine or in combination with contemporary medical practice. A patient's story discusses the healing journey that real people have experienced and how it has changed their lives. Most people, including many health professionals, don't think about oral health when considering the cause and treatment of chronic disease. However, there is mounting evidence that this connection exists, and to help us understand it better is Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Ron is a holistic dentist, and I'd like to introduce him. Hello, Ron. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Ron, curiously, how long have you been a dentist? How long have you called yourself a holistic dentist? And why did you become a holistic dentist? Oh, my God. I've been a holistic dentist for almost my entire career, to be honest. Uh, very, And that, that is over 40 years now. And it started very early on because I somehow found myself treating somebody with a headache that I didn't expect. A per person came in. I would just graduated six months earlier and took a history and they said, oh, this tooth's been a bit tender since the crown went in. So I adjusted it, just took a little bit off it. And they came back uh, two weeks later for their appointment, next appointment. And they said, I said, how's the crown? And they said, it's fine. And the headaches that I've had for the last five years have gone as well. And I just thought, hang on, what was going on there? And that just began a journey of discovery which goes on to this very day. It just uh, that's where it all started. Well, you're the best kind of practitioner because you're a curious practitioner, and that's <laughs> yes, so important. <laughs> it is. It is. Ron, what is a holistic dentist? What is the definition? What do you do that's different from normal dentistry? Look, at the end of the day, if you came in and spent a day in my surgery, you would see me doing dentistry, and and restorative dentistry is it was is a big part of that. But I think what defines a holistic dentist is really it's a dentist with attitude. <laughs> and uh, and that attitude is, and it is an attitude, uh, because it colours everything you do. It's, it's so easy as a dentist because we deal in minutia. We deal in microns. So it's so easy to get lost in the mouth and concentrate on just the mouth. But the attitude is that this mouth is connected to a whole person. And that is a big step. And when the research also supports that, it's the gateway to the digestive tract. The shape and size of your mouth determines the shape and size of your upper airway. So if you think sleeping and breathing are important, which I think we can all agree it is, then the shape and size of your mouth affects that. It's the site of the two most common infections known to man, woman, and child, that is tooth decay and gum disease. In fact, the WHO just brought out a report in 2022 on oral health and non-communicable diseases and found that, uh, yes, mental health is a huge problem. Uh, just under a billion people suffer from that. Cardiovascular disease we know is a big problem. 500 million people globally suffer from that. But 3.5 billion people suffer from oral diseases. And the sobering part of that is that so many of those oral diseases have no pain associated with them. 
And because of tooth decay, we implant a lot of material into people's mouths. So that's another aspect of holistic dentistry and uh, trying to be as biocompatible as possible. So choosing materials that are not toxic. And if we encounter materials that are, like mercury amalgam, to remove them carefully. I said the headache thing. This was the start of a journey. I've focused a lot of my practice on treating chronic musculoskeletal pain like headaches and neck aches. And that leads us into a whole story of sleep disordered breathing, snoring, obstructive sleep apnea. So there's a lot going on there in, in the mouth, in holistic dentistry. And I think, to be fair, uh, many dentists are now practicing holistically, even if they themselves don't refer to themselves as holistic. I think that's a fair statement. I know from holistic dentists I've been involved with over my career, they were often at loggerheads with general non-holistic dentists, for want of a better word. Mm. And there was discussion or heated discussion around types of materials used, the actual effect of a, of a bite and really how important that was, mm-hmm. you know, how that affects the vagus nerve and what that really means to a human being. And as you just said, I, I suppose that's all starting to change. How far down the track has that changed in your opinion? And do you find yourself still having, I won't say arguments, let's say heated debates with um, other dentists who don't follow the same philosophies? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. And and look, it's easy when you discover that, for example, the bite affects muscles throughout the body to think that that's, that's the secret, that's the key. Or if you've removed a tooth and infection is cleared up, then you think, wow, that's the key too. But I learned very early on, probably I've been in this for over 40 years, probably 35 years ago, I, I developed, I got introduced to a philosophy which kind of looked at it more holistically, so looked at stress as a function of all of nutritional, environmental, postural, dental, and emotional, and realized that the building up resilience involved sleeping, breathing, nourishment, movement, and thought. So there was more to it than just the dental stress. But I think people love certainty. You know, practitioners particularly love certainty. We People come in and... and um, put their trust in us. And so we want to be certain that what we're doing is the right thing. And you said at the beginning, curiosity is a good thing. And the question I often ask uh, practitioners is, at what point in your dental and in your education does your curiosity kick in? Because in our first few years, we learned a lot about anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry. And if we were more curious about those aspects and how nutrition and posture and environmental issues affected our health, then we'd be more holistic. So I think there's always a discussion about certainty and this whole story about evidence-based medicine. You know, it's almost like everything's got to be a randomised, double-blind control trial, otherwise it's not valid. So, you know, I think we've been kind of conned a little bit there. I I prefer to use the term evidence-informed. Yes, yes. evidence-based. It's evidence-informed, and part of that evidence is a knowledge of anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry, as well as the latest research. So materials is a great example of this. I love the dental profession. The ADA does a wonderful, wonderful job in advocacy and all of that, but the whole story about mercury in fillings is just a very sad reflection on on a profession that just needs to change its game a little bit. 
Because, for example, that is an example. I've got lots of dentists who've said to me over the years, oh, come on, give me a break. Uh, uh, you know, mercury affects everything, does it? And I go, yeah, well, it actually does. <laughs> and I go, but let me ask you this. Let's put aside all of the issues. And this is true. When you use an amalgam filling on a patient, what do you do with the scrap, the little bit left over that you haven't used on the patient? And the answer to that question I know, it's against the law to put it in the garbage, the toilet, or down the sink because we have to in, we have to protect the environment. If mercury gets into the environment, it's not good for our health. But guess what? The only safe place to put mercury amalgam fillings, according to the ADA and the NHMRC, is in a human being. Into an active system that's got Into different an pHs. Active and system. And-, and, and then we'll get the story. <laughs> then another story goes, well, it's in, orga- in, it's in the inorganic inert form. It's in a safe form. And I go, ah, yes, that is true until it comes into contact with microbes and then goes through what's called the methylation process and then makes it bioavailable to a person. So, you know, are there any bacteria in the human body? Hmm. Yes, yes, there are quite a few. So so that's a good example of, of perhaps... A, a dentist with attitude and and how I've just stopped being evangelical about this topic, but, you but, know, years ago. But back to my question, do you feel that that's changing? Yes, it is. It is. It okay. is definitely. And the reason it's changing is because so much research around gum disease has been linked to every health condition you can think of. And the common denominator there is chronic inflammation. So it's kind of dragged the profession into a more holistic view and also the connection between the mouth and sleep-disordered breathing also has as well. So the profession is definitely moving in a much more holistic direction. When we met recently, you said you had a case to discuss which put an understanding around this of a gentleman you saw who came in to see with rheumatoid arthritis. Would you mind starting to discuss that case? He was in his early 60s. and, and Yeah. You know. He was a guy in his 60s who over the last two years had developed rheumatoid arthritis. And he'd seen doctors and uh, it was getting worse. And he had seen an integrative doctor <clears throat> who had been treating him with all sorts of supplementation and support and then felt that just perhaps the, the mouth may be a contributing factor. So he came in and he could barely walk from his bedroom to his bathroom while the time he had seen me. And when I looked in his mouth, there was a problem. There was major problems. He'd already lost several teeth, so he'd had a history of problems, but he had active infections around teeth um, that were both not just periodontal infections, but were tooth infections, periapical infections, the nerves in those teeth had died. He had advanced gum disease and it was a problem. It was a real problem. And what happened was we then embarked on a process of removing certain teeth, cleaning up the gums and getting him back into good health and then giving him some dentures that he could chew with. And then he improved dramatically quite quickly to the point, and I don't promise this to every patient, but to the point that where previously he was unable to walk from his bedroom to his bathroom, he cycled from Sydney to Perth, from Perth to Melbourne, and then from Melbourne to Sydney. Now, 
I'm not saying every periodontal uh, result is as good as that and that once you have your gums and infection dealt with, you'll be able to do that. But it was certainly a dramatic turnaround and it kind of highlighted the fact that a lot goes on. And he didn't have any dental pain, by the way, despite the fact that he had two or three teeth that were literally floating in pus, Hmm. as horrible as that sounds, (laughs) being held in by just gum, not bone despite the fact that he had advanced periodontal disease, he had no dental pain at all. Right. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. yeah when you, when you uh, mentioned that case to me a little while ago, I, I looked up, uh, did a little bit of research, and there's actually some articles supporting the oh. uh, connection between rheumatoid arthritis and, and dental hygiene, particularly periodontal disease. One was quoted in a journal called Arthritis Research and Therapy in 2019, and they talked about a much higher incidence of worse rheumatoid arthritis where there's high levels of periodontal disease. And to be honest, that surprised me. And I've been in the health yeah. game for a long time, Yeah, I, and that surprised me as well. well. Well, how's this for a statistic? I mean, 92% of people have a more superficial presentation of gum disease in term what's called gingivitis. So when you look in yeah. your mouth, you see the pink surrounding a tooth. That's called gingiva, and when it's inflamed, you get gingivitis. So if people are wondering, do they have gingivitis, I ask a simple question. Do your gums ever bleed when you brush or floss your teeth? And a lot of people will nod, yes, they do, and most people's response to that is to stop flossing. Oh, it only bleeds when I floss, (laughs) right? So 92% of people have some degree of gingivitis, and and so that's superficial, but the deeper peri- uh, gum problems are, are when it affects the periodontal ligament that holds the tooth against the bone, and that's called periodontitis. Now, 45% of the population have some degree of periodontitis, and when you get into the age, over the age of 65, that number goes up to something like 70%. Yeah. So it is a very common problem. When someone comes in and they open their mouth and you can see the obvious issues, but when you step back and you look at things holistically, mm. I, do you also take concern over the patient's weight, their diet, their lifestyle habits, smoking? Do you discuss that with a patient? And are they comfortable discussing those issues with you as a holistic dentist? Yeah. Our initial appointment in the practice is for an hour. Right. And it's a, it's a comprehensive oral exam. And it goes into a whole medical history, a whole dental history, a whole uh, life. We ask about sleep. Is it easy for you to fall asleep? Do you wake up through the night? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Do you wake up feeling refreshed? Do you wake up with headaches, neck aches? Are your mouth, is your mouth dry? You know, so there's a whole, a very comprehensive exam. And we don't do anything other than look and talk. So a lot of people come in and think, Am I going to have a clean as well? Am I going to have, can I have a filling done as well? You know, and you kind of think, no, we are assessing your medical and dental health here. And so, yes, all things are on the table. And we have a lot of information in our waiting room. As you know, Daniel, you know, you can say things to people and they'll retain a relatively small amount of that. So we have a lot of um, material in our waiting room about nutrient-dense diets, about sleep-disordered breathing, about postural stress, about a whole range of different things. So, 
And they receive that very well. I mean, most people are surprised. A lot of people come in with that expectation, but some people are surprised that we could spend an hour together and just talk and access and look. And it's you can look in someone's mouth and often it's not until you've taken x-rays and photos, that, particularly x-rays, that the true picture emerges. And those x-rays now also include in more complex cases, 3D x-rays, which are so humbling and so illuminating to us, even after 40 years of practice. Uh, is the profession moving more towards these 3D x-rays? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, for example, if a person came in to see us with no fillings or hardly any fillings in their mouth and all the nerves in the teeth looked like were responding so they weren't dying, you wouldn't go and do a 3D X-ray. But if you were concerned about a heavily restored mouth with a lot of complex dental, a lot of heavy fillings in the mouth, a lot of crowns in the mouth, a lot of old root canals in the mouth, then you would, we would definitely call for a, a, a comp, you know, a, a cone beam 3D scan and that that tells us so much more. And is that something that's done within the surgery, or do you send people off for a specialty? If, if it's a, if it's only one or two teeth that we're concerned about, we have the facility to do that in oh. the practice. But if we're wanting to do a whole mouth, which would include sinuses in in that, then we would we send we work with a laboratory in Macquarie Street where the report gets. We not only do we look at it but we also get a very comprehensive report from a, a specialist, a person who specialises in dentofacial radiology. Right. And so we get two very comprehensive opinions, ours and hers as well. Okay. Going back to the patient with rheumatoid arthritis, Yep. you cleaned up their teeth, you took out the ones that were necessary, dealt with the infection as best you could, and you also mentioned that you helped to restore his bite. Yes. And and what does that mean and what is the relevance of that to him and is there a relevance to the condition? Interesting. That I think the relevance to the condition revolved more around getting the infections under control. Right. You know, so that was definitely the, the key to that. But then if we're talking about health, establishing resilience and good health beyond the diagnosable condition, then establishing a bite, an ability to chew your food, because this is the first step in the digestive process. So, you know, we have teeth for a reason. And the reason we have teeth is to break food down into smaller parts, into a greater surface area, to mix it with saliva and start the process of digestion. So that's important. But how's this for an interesting bit of research Coming out of Sydney University, they found that biting force was linked to cognitive decline. Mm, wow. So, so you know, we're talking the cognitive decline is the first step in dementia. Yes. And, uh, you know, like we talk about, is there research out there to support a lot of these things? Well, yeah, even that. I mean, I could show you research linking gum disease to low birth weight in children, cardiovascular disease, certain cancers, diabetes, certain autoimmune conditions, erectile dysfunction, infertility. You kind of go, oh, come on, give me a break. What else does it? And the, com and the common denominator, again, 
is chronic inflammation. Yeah, yeah. Well, as time goes on, we're discovering the net effect of chronic inflammation in every modality of medicine, whether it's regular medicine, natural medicine, holistic dentistry, it's yep. just coming up absolutely everywhere. And that relationship between chronic inflammation and the bacteria that live throughout our body is is getting more and more comprehensive as we understand it further. So on that note, there are specific bacteria in the mouth, which are specifically local to the mouth. And some of these bacteria have been associated with being able to produce various proteins, which assist in the breakdown of gum and, and bone around the mouth. Mm. So how do people develop these bacteria in the mouth, these nasty bacteria, and what can you do to rectify their mouth back to a normal bacterial environment? Mm. Well, there are three things really, or four, there's a few things. There's quite a few things you can. The most obvious one, of course, is diet. Because um, it's interesting, but they did a study a few years back where they put a per they put people on a Stone Age diet, Paleolithic diet, for a month and told them not to brush or floss their teeth. And what they found was that they got a buildup of plaque, but their but their their gum condition did not deteriorate. So so you know. It's the type of bacteria uh, that, that are there rather than the, the amount. It's are you feeding your friends or your foes? And, and you know, I think this is a really nice metaphor, but the more diverse your microbiome is in the mouth, just like the more diverse it is in the gut, just like the more diverse it is in the soil, the healthier the mouth, the gut, and the soil is. Mm. And, I, and I think it's a nice metaphor for society, in fact. <laughs> The more diverse, the healthier, you know, the more respectful we are, the healthier. So I think the food that we eat is really important. And not surprisingly, foods that are high in sugars and carbohydrates, which are very quickly broken down into sugars, will predispose you to that, the unfriendly, uh, the pathogenic bacteria that cause disease. So, so food is one, drink is another things we drink. I mean, water is still far and above the best drink we could drink. It's been going well for quite a few billion years so, or million years, so still good, even in the 21st century. And uh, a lot of the foods, uh, drinks like juices, fruit juices for a start are a, are a no-go. I mean, you couldn't possibly eat the amount of fruit that goes into a fruit juice, so there's so much sugar in that. But even the carbonated drinks that have zero amount of sugar in it the fact that they're carbonated firstly means that they are more acidic, and many of those drinks are, are, are very acidic, and that's a problem. And they also are buffered with certain like phosphoric phosphates and all this, and that's not good for you either. So drinks is one. So food and drink are the main things. Given that we live in the real world and we do eat a, a real diet, then that then comes to your oral hygiene. And uh, and this is why brushing and flossing is important. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity. I like to multitask, Daniel. So when I okay. brush or floss my teeth, I practice mindful brushing and flossing. So I use it as a mindfulness exercise and just take my time and, and try to be as thorough as I can. And I do that. I, I brush twice a day and I floss at night and then brush as well. So brushing and flossing are important. And then the other thing that you must go in and, and do at one stage in your life is have a comprehensive oral exam. 
where yeah. your gum health can be assessed because the gum should be like a tight collar around the tooth. And that collar, if it's tight, is easy to brush and floss. But if the collar gets loosened by a buildup of plaque and calculus, pushing that tight collar away from the tooth, and instead of a tiny crevice around a tooth, you actually now have a pocket that is measurable, that's a pocket you can't get into yourself, and that's why you need a comprehensive oral exam and then a professional clean. And if you have gingivitis, then having a clean done once every six or 12 months may be fine. But if you have periodontitis, which means you have a pocket around a tooth, then sometimes you need to have the teeth cleaned professionally every three to four months. And that's a very important thing. So diet, oral hygiene, professional assessment and professional clean, I would throw into that a consistently good night's sleep because that improves immune function. I would include in that being a nasal breather rather than a mouth breather because a mouth breather ends up with a dry mouth, which predisposes you to unhealthy bacteria. And, and that's a problem too. So there are a whole range of other things to consider, but that's basically what you can do to avoid it and to maximize your chances of not getting it. So based on the the patient that we've just discussed also with the rheumatoid arthritis, and we obviously many other patients with many other chronic inflammatory and metabolic type of diseases will also benefit from good oral hygiene. Should every patient with every chronic disease get a full dental assessment? Absolutely. I mean, there's just no question about that at all. And what frustrates me, and and actually often we will see health practitioners, and I and I must say sometimes we'll even see integrative health practitioners, do an assessment of a patient's oral health by saying, have you been to the dentist lately? And they'll go, yes. Was anything done? No. He said, oh, everything was fine. And are you in any pain? No. Okay. So we've covered oral oral diseases. Tick that yep. box there. You're fine. Yep. Oh, my God. You have just overlooked the biggest, I mean, 3.5 billion people. I mean, we're acknowledging that mental health is a big problem. A billion people in the world are suffering from diagnosable mental health issues. But hey, guess what? Three and a half times that. Double, uh, you know, the the seven times the number of people with cardiovascular disease suffer from chronic oral health diseases. Well, so, interestingly, yeah. there was also a study that came out in the last couple of years that strongly associated depression with oral disease. So it's not just physical conditions, oh, no. but depression is also very strongly associated with bad oral hygiene. Yeah, that doesn't surprise. Look, you know, I think all diseases. This is, we're coming back to all diseases, the common denominator is chronic inflammation. And that is true of of, um, mental health as well as physical health. In fact, I'm just reading a fabulous book called Brain Energy, which talks about mental health. This is written by a psychiatrist Mm. talking about mental health as a metabolic disease. Uh, Absolutely. The old paradigm of treating mental health with anxiolytics and antidepressants is being challenged strongly even by the medical profession so you've got to step back and say what's going on with the whole person absolutely yep. yeah what how do people find the right dentist or how do they this is a tricky question i don't want to throw get you to throw any colleagues under a bus no. but how do you illuminate the ones who really understand what you're talking about here 
Look, I think there's an increasing number of dentists that are doing that. I mean, obviously, our practice, which is the Sydney Holistic Dental Centre, there's the free plug um, in the the city of Sydney. Um, You know, I mean, we get patients coming from literally all over Australia, um, but but there are other holistic dentists all over the place, and and I think that's worth looking out for and looking into, and uh, they're out there. They're out there. You've just got to look for them and and understand that a comprehensive oral exam takes a lot of things into consideration, and it's a I think it's an important step for people to do just to baseline themselves. You know, if you're interested in your health. And this is why I include dental stress in my stress model. You know, when I talk about stress and I go, oh, well, it's emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, everyone's nodding up to that point. And then I go, and dental stress. And a dental stress, they go, oh, hang on. I go, well, the reason I include that is one, I've been a holistic dentist for 40 plus years, so I feel I know what I'm talking about. But I also include it for anybody with the mouth who is interested in their health and has never fully connected the two. Because if yeah. you really are interested in your health, you've got to find that out. Yeah. Oh, look, there is tons of information out there about dental, poor dental health, increasing cytokines, which increase inflammation and every disease. Um, people should get looked at every six months, 12 months. Look, I think at, at some stage in a person's life, a comprehensive oral exam is important. And yes. then once they've established if there are problems and what those problems are and how to deal with them, then it varies from, look, I had a, I had a patient that came in, this was literally a one in a thousands, who had all 32 of their teeth through an imperfect alignment, not a filling in their mouth, no buildup of plaque or calculus, and had not been to the dentist for eight years. I had never, in 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 all my time, that was a standout patient what? that I will I will remember for the rest of my life. <laughs> what were they eating? Well, that's such an interesting one. You know, I think they really were on it. They were grown up in the country, and they were had been on a nutrient dense diet. When they were when you know when they were in utero and yep. and through their lives and they they just looked after their health they were just really healthy but I'm telling you the vast majority yeah. I mean we're talking about 99.9 percent of the population should have a a comprehensive exam and then see a dentist probably six to twelve monthly and if they have periodontal disease remembering half the population do. And over the age of 65, that goes up to 70%. You should probably be seeing a hygienist three, every three to four months. So just going, finishing off, looking at, back at your patient, did you see him again? And were you in any position to take any bloods and look at rheumatoid factor to see if there's any changes or anything like that there? I wasn't because I love working with other practitioners. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have knowledge of nutritional, environmental medicine, lifestyle medicine. I've got fellowships and those but I much prefer to stick with uh, what I do well. Oh, but and so we love working with uh, integrative doctors, naturopaths, homeopaths, nutritionists, and I would rather hand them back to that that practitioner and let them deal with those things. Yeah. We do, we do that, and I do that now more now that I'm doing more health coaching. But but I do look at bloods more and and all of that. But when I'm in my dental practice, no, that's not what we would do. Yeah. Ron, it's just wonderful to know what's possible. Thank you so much for your time. 
And just finally, how do people get in touch with your surgery? Our surgery is, as I said, the Sydney Holistic Dental Centre in the centre of Sydney, opposite Hyde Park. Just go on shdc.com.au, shdc.com.au, and, uh, you know, you can get a lot more information there. Fantastic, mate. Thank you so much for your time. It's I've learned a lot, and I hope everyone else who listens does as well. Thanks, Daniel. If you feel that this story could be of benefit to you or someone you know, please like it and share it. If you have a health story yourself and feel that sharing it might make a difference to another person, please head over to our website, apatientstory.com. We would love to hear from you. And as a reminder, in this podcast and on our website, the information provided relates to the specific health requirements of an individual and may not relate to your health circumstances or that of another person. Please do not make any changes to your treatment without consulting your health professional. Thank you.